What was briefly yours is now mine. You bastards! I'll get you for this! I respect your bold artistic vision. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I've got a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. They're kind of related, and I guess it's because they come from a time before the internet. At least they start there. And I'm not sure there's a 100% pure connection here, but they're connected in my head. So that's why I'm going to talk about both of them. The first is Indiana Jones. The second is life before the internet, and life before social media, and life before cell phones. Now, I've talked about both of these a little bit in previous episodes, but they kind of came together for me this week again, and so it made sense to me to talk about both of them this week. I mentioned Indiana Jones first because I'm recording this right when the new movie has released, Indiana Jones 5. I mean, it's the fifth Indiana Jones movie, although honestly, as I've said many times, I only consider there to be three. That fourth one, the Crystal Skull thing, it's a movie with Indiana Jones in it, But it's so far removed from what Indiana Jones was supposed to be about, I don't consider it an Indiana Jones movie. I've seen it one time. That's it. It was so bad, I've never rewatched it. But the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because of the feelings that I had after the fourth one, which is a sequel that came out like 20 years after the last one? Something like that? I don't remember the dates exactly. Because it came out, what, 15 years ago? It's so unmemorable to me, I don't even remember when it came out. But I want to take you back to 1981 when the first Indiana Jones movie came out. Now, you don't have to be a math whiz to know that that was before the internet. It was before social media. It was before Return of the Jedi. I mean, think about that for a minute. Harrison Ford was making other movies while he was making the Star Wars movies, too. And I want to give you a mindset. I want to give you a view of what Raiders of the Lost Ark was like. Because I was there when it was released. I went to the theaters to see it. And you have to remember, in 1981, Harrison Ford had made some movies. And he was Han Solo, for sure. But we didn't know who Indiana Jones was. We had no idea. The first movie wasn't even called an Indiana Jones movie. The original title of the first movie was called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I know that at least 70% of the people who saw the movie didn't know what Ark they were talking about. They were thinking Noah's Ark. Nobody was thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, and until you see the movie, you don't understand what Ark they're talking about. You don't know. Unless you were a crazy, wise, biblical scholar, you didn't know anything about the Ark of the Covenant and how it related to the power of God. The casual moviegoer had no idea. Indiana Jones educated us on that. Indiana Jones was our introduction to archaeology and archaeological science and history and biblical history. I mean, it's not 100% accurate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not an idiot. I know that it's not 100% historically accurate. But it did take the legends that existed and incorporated them into a believable, understandable, exciting format. And that's why Raiders of the Lost Ark worked. It made sense. And Indiana Jones was a 30-something archaeologist. All the girls at the school wanted to get with the professor. He was an adventurous sort. He was a badass. He could hold his own in a fight. He had Marion Ravenwood as a love interest. Smart woman, beautiful woman, didn't put up with this crap, but she still loved him, and he still loved her. Oh, it was a great story, great backstory, great characters. You got to punch Nazis. What more can you ask for? Now, not surprisingly, because it was such a success, they did a sequel. This one was called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. People knew who Indiana Jones was for the second movie, so that's why they put his name in the title. 
And I did an episode on movie franchises a while back, back in season three, I think it was. I did an episode on movie sequels and movie franchises, and Indiana Jones is one of the biggest ones. They made Temple of Doom, which did well, not as well as the first one, which is often the case with sequels. And then they did the third one, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which did better than the second one. And then the franchise went dormant, which in my opinion was not a bad thing. They had the perfect ending to the trilogy at the end of The Last Crusade, riding off into the sunset. Spoiler alert. But they have everybody ride off into the sunset. That's the classic way that old movies used to end. The heroes would ride off into the sunset, and that was it. And you could close the book on the Indiana Jones saga at that point and never have to open it again. Now, Temple of Doom was a different kind of movie than Raiders of the Lost Ark. And as is always the case when you do a sequel... You're going to piss people off no matter what you do. If you do the same movie again, but with different scenes in a different location, you know, the same action sequences, the same kind of hunt for whatever it is you're looking for, people are going to say, well, why didn't you give us a different story? Not all the people. Some people will be satisfied with that. But the people wanting something different with the same character will be upset. But then if you give them something different, in the case of Temple of Doom, something darker with a different female lead, then the people who want the same movie again are going to be upset. Well, why did you give me this dark crap? I wanted Indiana Jones. I don't want a witch doctor who can reach into people's bodies and pull their hearts out. I don't want Kate Capshaw, who is annoyingly shrill, very needy, had no place in that movie. I know they wanted to cast somebody completely opposite Karen Allen, who is Marion Ravenwood, and they did. But to me, Indiana Jones wouldn't have given her the time of day. Not the Indiana Jones that I knew from the first movie. But that's the problem with a sequel. You're putting new people in it, you're bringing in new characters, and you may or may not hit with them. And Temple of Doom was really dark. It was. You had a religious cult, you had child slave labor, you had the scary witch doctor who could yank people's heart out. It was not a fun movie, not like the first one. And then came The Last Crusade, and they had the good sense to cast Sean Connery as Indiana Jones' father. And the chemistry between them worked, the villains worked, you got to punch more Nazis, that worked. It was a great story. It was a great father-son story. It made sense. And it did better than Temple of Doom. So it was a really successful movie and a way to close out the franchise. Now remember, all three of these came out pre-internet. There was no social media. There was nothing going on like we have now where you have spoilers released and things happen and things are let loose and things get out. We got to enjoy the movies in relative peace, in relatively spoiler-free environments. We didn't know what was going to happen in those movies, and that was great. It made them even better. But the problem with Hollywood, and the problem with wanting to make money, is that folks in Hollywood can't leave well enough alone. Rather than create a new intellectual property, rather than create a new hero, rather than even pass off the baton, they decided to resurrect the Indiana Jones franchise with Crystal Skull. And it just didn't work. It just didn't work. Once you have Indiana Jones escape a nuclear blast in a lead-lined refrigerator, you lose me. You heard me talking about the first movies. At least they made sense. They were believable. They hung together. You learned something from them. Anybody with a basic understanding of science knows that what happened in the opening sequence of Crystal Skull is completely unrealistic. It's so far afield from anything that we know is plausible. That you can no longer suspend your disbelief and enjoy the movie. You understand it's a movie going in. But if the story is good, if it captures you, if it brings you in, you can suspend that disbelief. And you can voluntarily jump on board and go along for the ride. Crystal Skull made that impossible to do. In addition to the other stuff they did with Crystal Skull, you know, it's set in the future. In Indiana Jones's future. 
He's older. They don't try to get around that. So they have the old guy jokes. And the movie, although it made money, it just was not well received. You heard me talk about it. It's not an Indiana Jones movie. I don't think of it as that. It's implausible, unbelievable, and annoying. And I think that a good number of Indiana Jones fans feel the same way. But Hollywood being Hollywood, they said, you know, we screwed this up once. Why don't we try to screw it up again? So now they have Harrison Ford in his late 70s coming back and playing an old Indiana Jones, which they already did in Crystal Skull. But now we're playing an even older Indiana Jones. All right, I get it. We age. I'm older now. I'm older than I was when that franchise started in 1981. I was there for the beginning. I remember what it was like. I saw the Crystal Skull. I know what old Indiana Jones is supposed to be like. I get that too. I don't need to see old, old Indiana Jones. I just don't. Now, they say it cost almost $300 million to make this movie. I mean, why? Is it the CGI to de-age Harrison Ford? Well, if you have to de-age Harrison Ford, maybe you shouldn't be making the movie. If part of your story depends on the fact that Indiana Jones has to be 20 years younger, maybe you should rethink the movie. They did $60 million in the domestic opening weekend box office, and they call that bad. $60 million is not a bad opening. But I guess it is if you have to break even by selling a billion dollars worth of tickets. I guess a movie that costs $300 million to make has to sell a billion dollars in tickets to be profitable. You should think that through before you make the movie, don't you think? But the world is different now. The world is so different now. We don't need another Indiana Jones movie. I love Indiana Jones. I do. But I don't need another movie. It's the same feeling I had with a solo movie. I talked about that a couple of years ago. It's a movie nobody asked for, nobody wanted, nobody needed, but they decided to make it anyway because they want to make some money using the solo name. None of the same actors, but the name. This is what I mean about running out of ideas. We've got Harrison Ford. He's still alive. Let's have him make another Indiana Jones movie. All right, so he's only 78 years old. He can do plenty. And we'll de-age him. Am I curious about the movie? Of course I'm curious about the movie. I've known this character for over 40 years. I love this character. Indiana Jones is one of my favorite movie characters. Indiana Jones from the original three movies. And knowing Harrison Ford, I'm sure he's going to pull off the role. He knows the role. He is the role. But do I need to see the movie? No, not really. Am I going to go to the theater to see it? No, I'm not. And you know what? That's one of the problems that the studios make. We're living in a post-COVID world. And by post-COVID, I don't mean COVID is over. I mean COVID is here and we're living in a world where it exists. Before 2020, there was no COVID. After 2020, it's post-COVID. COVID is here, it's still here, and it still exists. And people have changed the way they live their lives because of COVID. I know that I have, and I know a lot of people have. The attitude towards movies is totally different now. Oh, I could go to the movie and see it on opening day, or I could wait six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks tops, and it'll be on a streaming service so I can watch it from my living room. Why am I going anywhere? And I gotta tell you, that's my attitude. Between the cost of movie tickets, which in New Jersey, the last time I went to a movie, which was over three years ago, was anywhere between $10 and $15 a piece. But let's just say $10 a piece. If I want to take Mrs. Gamerdew to the movie, just the two of us, that's 20 bucks. Popcorn, another eight. A soda, another five. So for 33 bucks, we can go sit in a theater where people may or may not be breathing COVID on us. Or I can wait 10 weeks, sit in my living room, put some popcorn in the microwave, and we're good to go from there. I'll do the second one. Thank you. And I don't have to worry about annoying people opening a candy bar behind my head and kicking my chair for the entire movie. Am I upset that they made a new Indiana Jones movie? I'm not upset. I really couldn't care less. I'm not excited about it either. What I am is kind of sad. 
Because something from the 80s, something that was really good, something that we enjoyed immensely, they've just beaten the crap out of it. They've just squeezed as much juice from that beat-up old lemon as they can. And they keep squeezing. I like Indiana Jones. I like Harrison Ford. Is this movie going to be better than the first three? There's no possible way it can be. Because the eyes we viewed those first three movies with are 40 years older now. And the people who are making those movies now don't have the same life experiences as the people who are watching the movies now and who watched the original movies. Because let's not forget, to people of a certain age, Indiana Jones is awesome. We know who he is. He's a touchstone. Everybody gets it. But Indiana Jones came into existence before any of my kids were born. Long before any of my kids were born. There are a couple of generations of people. They're not even kids. There are people in their 40s who never saw an Indiana Jones movie in the theater and never wanted to. Indiana Jones to a lot of people are like Humphrey Bogart was to me. I saw him in old black and white movies on The Late Show. I saw him on the Saturday morning matinees that were on, like, Channel 5 at my house. My mom would watch Casablanca during the afternoons on Channel 7. There are people alive now who couldn't care less about Indiana Jones. Just like I couldn't care less about Humphrey Bogart when I was a kid. So the movies that are being made with Indiana Jones in them mean nothing to them and they don't care if they see them or not. You can't create nostalgia for a beloved character for people who never saw the character in the first place. And too many people in Hollywood forget that that's the case. People making a movie today think that everybody has the same frame of reference that they do. And that's not the case. People are different now. People have different views. People have different experiences. People have different frames of reference. People grew up with Veronica Mars and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they don't know who Indiana Jones is and they don't care. It's a different generation that you're appealing to. And that kind of leads me to the other thing that I wanted to talk about. I've read a couple of questions this week that were posted on the internet in various places, posted on various social media, Twitter, Tumblr. And the question went something like this. Before you had your cell phone, before there was the internet, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, TikTok, before those existed, what did you do to entertain yourself? What did you do before you went to sleep? How did you live without that stuff? And to me, that's a very interesting question because it highlights the difference between the generations. There's an entire generation, a couple of generations, actually, and we've talked about the generations before. There's entire generations of people whose formative years occurred long before social media, long before the Internet. If you took my phone away, if you took my Wi-Fi away, if you took my computer away, I'd be fine. I lived more of my life without that stuff than I have with that stuff. Do I like that stuff? Absolutely. I'm not saying I don't want it. What I'm saying is I could get by without it. I know how to read a book. I know how to play solitaire. I know how to draw. I know how to write. I know how to amuse myself without having to scroll through posts on Twitter, without having to check out people's pictures on Instagram. I can do that. If my power went out and I couldn't watch TV, I have shelves of books to read. I have board games coming out my ears. Mrs. Gamerton and I would have board games to keep us entertained for months. I have playing cards. We could play every playing card game that I know and look up others and keep ourselves entertained without missing a beat and without being sad about it. That's how we grew up. 
But there are entire generations of kids, and they're not kids anymore, but people born in 1995 who grew up in the early 2000s, who were in school in 2001, 2002, 2003, when computers became the norm in the classroom, when MySpace turned into Facebook, when finding music online was oh so important, when YouTube came about. We grew up watching MTV. There's a whole generation of kids who grew up watching YouTube. And the only thing they know about MTV was the real world. They didn't know music videos. Music videos popped up on YouTube. Everything that we did, and we meaning people my age, a little older, a little younger, there's people my age who entertained ourselves in a variety of different ways. Between board games and books, going to clubs, going to parks, having picnics, having hikes, having cookouts. We did a lot of different things to amuse ourselves. We'd go home for dinner. We'd sit down and eat dinner. Whether it was me as a kid or me as a young adult, we would sit down and eat dinner. Quietly. The TV wouldn't be on. We wouldn't have phones. We would have what we used to call conversations. We learned to talk. We learned to share stories. In the evening after dinner, we would sit in the family room. We'd watch TV. As a young adult, when I was on my own, if I was with my girlfriend, we'd watch TV. We'd maybe go to a club. We'd maybe go dancing. We might go to a comedy show. And then we'd come back and we'd watch some TV. And I've talked about this before, TV would go off the air at some point. Not so much in New York. New York always had TV on. But some of the local stations, and in some of the small towns that I lived in, some of the network stations, they would just shut down. A lot of people these days complain about there being nothing to watch on TV. But there's always something on. There's always channels on. When I was younger, the channels would shut down. Two o'clock would roll around. Sometimes it was one o'clock. Sometimes it was three o'clock. But two o'clock in the morning would roll around. They would play the national anthem and say, this ends our broadcast day. We'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. And then you'd get static from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And if you were up late, which I often was, you weren't watching TV anymore. You'd listen to music. You'd read a book. You would find something to keep yourself busy if you weren't ready to go to sleep. It's just the way it was. You just found ways to keep yourself busy. And that's the way it was every single day. That's what we grew up with. We didn't know any different because there wasn't any different. Now, I say that now from my perspective. That's what I grew up with. I can't, for the life of me, imagine what it must have been like for my grandparents growing up because they didn't have TV. They would get home at the end of the day. They'd have dinner. There was no TV to turn on. There was radio, I suppose, and they could listen to the radio. But given what we have in our world today, can you imagine your entertainment being listening to radio programs? You'd listen to a radio drama, like this podcast, somebody talking to you, except acting out a story. Just like Murder, She Wrote, except instead of being a TV program, it was a radio program. And you'd listen to actors acting out on the radio. Can you imagine that was your entertainment? And that's not that long ago. That's less than a hundred years ago. You know, if you go back to the 1930s and the 1940s, TV was not a regular thing. And the 1930s, 1940s, that's only 80 to 90 years ago. That's your great-grandparents. That's not that long ago. And go back a generation before them. Go back to the early 1900s, which is only about 100 years ago. There weren't radio programs. What did people do to entertain themselves back then? I can't put my mind in that kind of mindset because I don't know. I've always grown up with at least some TV. Always had radio. What was the world like before they had radio? What did you do at the end of the day? You got home, you had dinner, or if you were living on a farm and working a farm, you got done with your chores, you went inside, you had dinner, and then what? Did you sit down and read a book? Did you sit down and try to write? 
Did you carve something? Did you paint something? Did you go to sleep early? How early did you go to sleep? I guess if you lived on a farm, you would go to sleep around 8 o'clock. So you could get up the next morning at around 5 o'clock, I suppose. So you could go out and work the farm. And then you were working hard all day, so you'd come home and be tired. Or you'd go in the house and be tired because you're already home. But what did you do to entertain yourself? What was the entertainment? I guess that's why county fairs were big. I guess that's why live vaudeville shows were huge. When you saw somebody doing a tap dance on a stage, that was something completely unique. You didn't see that anywhere else. You had to go into town when the vaudeville show came around in order to see a person dancing on the stage. That's why those shows worked, because there was nothing else out there. I know I went down a very long road, didn't I? But my point is, we all look at the world through our own frame of reference. If you've grown up with the internet, and with 24-7 TV and radio, and with videos available online all of the time, TikTok is always there. YouTube is always there. You've always got something to watch. You've always got something to listen to. If your whole life has had that, you can't imagine a life without it. You can't imagine going to sleep without the TV on. You can't imagine going to sleep without watching YouTube videos. You can't imagine ending your day without scrolling through Twitter or Tumblr or TikTok. Not being able to do that is a dramatic change from what you're used to. So I understand the question. It's just very hard to explain what the world was like without all of that stuff. I know what it was like because I lived it. And I could very easily go back to that and far more so than somebody who's never lived without it. Yeah, I've gone on vacation many times and I'm happy to put the phone down. I'm happy to put the computer down. I don't need the laptop. I don't need a tablet. I don't need a phone. Is it nice to have? Sure, it's nice. Especially since you can't get a morning paper anymore. I get a lot of news headlines from various sources. I like to keep track of what's going on in the world. But do I have to? Not really. I could very easily never keep up. But I know that's not so for people who grew up with nothing but all of this noise and action and video and sound and music all of the time. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's just something to be aware of, no matter which generation you're in. If you're of the older generation, you have to be mindful of the fact that your kids, your grandkids, they live in a completely different world than the one you live in. There's always something going on online, on TV, even on the radio, although most kids don't listen to radio anymore. But there's always something going on. And if you're in the younger generation, you have to understand there's a whole generation of people, several of them older than you, who grew up without all of the noise. Now, I know a lot of people my age, a lot of the boomers, a lot of the Gen Xers. I know a lot of people have gotten addicted to the social media. They don't want to be without their Twitter. They don't want to be without their TikTok. They got to have their Tumblr. They like to pretend that they're different. But if you tried to take away any of those social media sites from a lot of people in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, oh, you'd have a rebellion on your hands. They like to pretend they're different, but they're not. They forget that they grew up without it. But that's a separate topic. What I'm saying is, for me personally, I'm aware of what I had. I'm aware of what I didn't have. I'm aware of what I have now. I'm aware of what I could do without. And my point is, everybody needs to be mindful of the differences between what people had, what people have, and how they view their respective worlds based on the things that they have and didn't have. Does that make sense? It did in my head when I was formulating that thought. I hope it makes sense to you. I'm satisfied with it. I hope you are.
So yeah, I started philosophizing there. I'm not sure why I wanted to go in that direction this week, but I did. And I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you putting up with my stuff. Thank you so much for being here. That'll do it for this week's episode. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to listen and just for being here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.